So we have an amazing, amazing topic that we're going to delve into today. We're going to talk about the topic of Kibbut of Aim, which loosely translated will translate as honoring your father and your mother. And as we do with these types of shame, we're going to try to build a multi-layered perspective where we go into the basic halachos, we delve into these sugyas more be'i, and then we start to build something much deeper, much more profound. And the best place to start, as with anything, is what is the source? Meaning, what is the source of this mitzvah? The idea of honoring your father and your mother. We're going to have to look for the Torah sources. And also, you want to understand what are the requirements? To what extent do you have to honor your father and mother? What does it mean? What does it entail? And also, what's the value? I mean, why is it so important? What's the purpose? What is it supposed to teach you? And what are the limitations? I mean, your parents give lots of instructions. They say, wear a coat. They say, can you get me that? Be back at 12. You know, don't do this. Don't, you know, do that. Do you have to listen to everything they say? What if they ask you to violate an avira? What if they ask you to do something you, feel, you don't feel comfortable with? What are the parameters? What are the limitations? And to take it a step further, can parents themselves be mevaltal or kavod? Meaning that if there's a requirement to give them honor and respect, what if they say, you don't have to you know, respect me in that regard? What if there's a specific requirement, then they say, oh, you don't have to do that. Do they have the ability to be mevaltal, to give up, they're covered. And what about grandparents? Do grandparents get the same type of cover that parents do? Is there a mitzvah to respect your grandparents? I mean, there's obviously a mitzvah to respect the elderly, which is a whole topic that we might you know, delve into a different time. But is that connected to this question of grandparents? I mean, do grandparents get their own unique mitzvah of kibbut aim Is it just connected to the general mitzvah of kibbut aim Or is there no mitzvah of kibbut aim for your grandparents and you just have to respect them because of the idea of respecting your elders? And, I mean, hopefully this isn't the case for most people, but what if someone's parents is Russia? What if they're a bad person? I mean, no one's a bad person, they do bad things, but what if they are an actual Russia? What if they don't keep halacha? And what if they are a really terrible person? Do they also have the mitzvah of keeping up Meaning, do you have to respect your parents even if they're terrible people? And also, what's the relationship between the cover that you give your parents and the cover that you give your teachers, your abeim? There's a, a very interesting sikya when it comes to the question of what if you can only choose between doing something for your parent and for your rebbe, how do you make that choice? Who do you choose? So in general, we want to delve into this in a very profound way, but we want to build layers. And in order to build layers, you start with the very foundation. You go to the Torah and you say, what are the, what are the sources that give the foundation for how we're going to approach this mitzvah? Right? <clears throat> so if you, look, if you look at one of the most interesting aspects of, of introducing a sugya, there isn't one pasuk, there are two psukim. And these psukim actually give different formulations. So in Sefer Shmos, we have that you should honor your father and your mother. And then, very interestingly, in Sefer Vaikra, we have another source, but the source gives a different lashon. It says, You should yira. Yira can be translated as fear, it can be translated as awe, as respect, <clears throat> but it seems to be at the you know at the very starting point, 
that we already have two different formulations. We have this idea that you're supposed to give kavod to your parents and you're supposed to give yira. Yira. Why do we need both? What's the difference? The Maharal thinks that the, this is very, very fundamental that the Torah gives two different formulations, but why does the Torah give two different formulations? And to take it a step further, the Gemara says something very interesting. And this is something that we're going to have to really think about. It says, this Gemara is in Kedushin, Daflam and Bez, and the Gemara also Bo Metziah, Daflam actually it's, it's Gemara in Kedushin, Daflam and Bez, and Bo Metziah, Daflam and Bez, and Aleph. So the, these Gemaras, they compare the cover that you're supposed to give to your parents to the cover you're supposed to give to Hashem. And just in case you think that this is just Machshava, the Gemara is quoted in the Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch, and, you know, in the Kuf Mem Gimel, and the Yarach HaShulchan, in Yardea, Reish Mem. And what's the connection? What's the connection between honoring your parents and honoring Hashem? And if you want, your, if you want to really raise your eyebrow, and you literally couldn't say this unless this was an actual Gemara and actually quoted in the Rishonim, there's this idea, and this is quoted in the Yishami Kedushin, and it, it basically quotes your Shimbar Yochai, who says the Kibbut of, Kibbut of Amy, honoring your parents is greater than honoring Hashem. And this Yishami is referenced by the Ritva, Mamatsiya, Daf, Lamebeza, and Aleph, and the Rana Kedushin, Daf, Yegibam, Mamebeza, and Arach Hashuch, and Once again, uh, and the question of what, what does this mean? So we have very interesting idea of covet versus year already in the Pesukim, and we have Gemara's talking about the connection between giving covet to Hashem and your parents, and the fact that, at least in some formulations, there's this idea which might seem just incomprehensible that giving covet to your parents is greater than giving covet to Hashem. So what's going on here? So let's start by building a foundation. Whenever you approach any sugya, you want to start by thinking about what's the nature of the mitzvah. So you have a mitzvah to give cover to your parents, to respect your parents, to to honor them. Why? So before getting into details of what this entails, the question is why? Why does Hashem want us to do this? So there are levels. On the most basic level, there's the concept of hakar satov, of gratitude. And on the most basic level, what does that Hakar Satov refer to? It refers to giving gratitude, saying thank you, both literally and conceptually, to the people who raised you, the people who nurtured you. When someone does something for you, you need to acknowledge it. That's the most basic component of living a thoughtful life, is recognition and discernment. It's understanding where did things come from. And ultimately you say, this comes from here, this comes from there. And on a deeper level, it's not just about curse to on a simple level of saying thank you, it's teaching you how to source things back to their root, to their source, where they come from. Because the most profound and essential characteristic of a spiritual mind is one that learns how to trace things back to their source. You're eating something, where did this come from? You have a problem, what's the source of this problem? You have an idea, where does that idea come from? Learning how to think intellectually and spiritually is learning how to say this is what seems to be expressed, but where's its root? Where is it coming from? And you learn how to build hierarchies, you learn how to categorize, you learn how to say this 
comes from this. I am a fully expressed human being. I came from a zygote. This tree came from a seed. You're looking at a screen that came from a projector, right? You're looking at things. You say the light bulb is light. Where does the electricity come from? You start to learn how to trace things back to their root. And the most essential starting point of doing that is by you saying, where do I come from? Where is my source? Where is my root? And you say, oh my gosh, I came from my parents. My parents created me. And this idea permeates all of life, and it really permeates all of Allah as well. If you look at, for example, in Shas, there's the concept of avos and toldos. Avos and toldos. Now I'm talking about parents and children. It's talking about the concept of an av and a toldo. In, in Hilchah Shabbos, you have an av malacha and you have toldos. In Nezikin, the first parak of Baba Kama, you have avos Nezikin and you have toldos. In Tumantara, you have Avos and Tolos, you have Avayavos, you have the hierarchy categorized. You understand how to say this is the root, this is the expression, this is higher, this is lower, this is more fundamental, this is less fundamental. You start to understand how to think, where you don't just have a, a clutter of data, of information, of details, but you start to say, this is a cloud, this is a prat, this is a general idea, this is an application. And the Ramchal, in just about every sefer he wrote, but really delves into this in Das Tunos and Derech Hashem, talks about how it's so important to really pursue klalim, principles, ideas, avos, because every av, every klal, every concept, every idea contains many, many details, applications, and expressions, right? So if you have, let's say, a a seed, that seed expresses itself, and then you have a trunk which expands, and you have many branches, and those branches have smaller branches, the branches have smaller branches, then they have leaves. But you want to really go back to the root, because the root contains everything. And if you aren't able yet to go back to the root, you want to at least go to bigger branches, because those contain smaller branches. You want to go to the trunk, because those contain all the branches. It's about learning how to categorize, how to build hierarchies, how to understand how to trace things back to their source. And Kibbutz of Aim teaches you how to do that. So, in general, the most brilliant minds learn how to really pursue ideas, concepts, and principles. That's why Rav Wasman was famous for asking the question, would you rather have a thousand books or ten books? And he said, it really depends. If you don't know how to organize them, then it's much better to have 10 books. Because if you have 1,000, or I think he'd move to put it more, but like 10,000, 100,000. If you have 10,000, 100,000 books, then if you don't have an organizing system, you have clutter and you have no books. You can't access anything you're looking for. If you have 10, you at least have everything in front of you. But once you can categorize, once you can organize, once you understand how to build meaning out of chaos, out of digida, out of details, out of... I mean, that's what data analytics is all about. It's learning how to take so much data and information and details and opinions. And when you learn a sugya, you can be overwhelmed with the amount of shitos and halachos and opinions. But if you learn how to think strongly and powerfully, how to categorize, how to conceptualize, things start to make sense. And that's the beauty of Kibbutz Avaim, is the idea of learning how to trace things back to their source. So the first stage we build very practically is just giving gratitude gratitude to where things came from. On a deeper level, it's about not only giving gratitude, but the idea of gratitude is hakar satov. What's hakar? Makir means to recognize. It's about recognizing where things come from. That's the deeper layer of Kippurah aim is saying that my parents created me. My parents are my source. And because my parents are my source, 
I'm learning how to trace things back to the source, but the even deeper layer, and this is the most important layer, so to speak, is that Kibbutz of Aim teaches you how to recognize that not only are your parents your source, but who's their source, and who's their source. And you end up tracing yourself all the way back to who? Back to Hashem. And that's the famous Gemara Kedushin, the famous Gemara Nida. There are three partners in creation, Hashem and your parents. And when you realize that by understanding that you didn't create yourself, I mean, think about it. You start out life where it's just you. And then you say, wait a second, where do I come from? Who created me? But who created them? And then you get back to Avram, get back to Noah, get back to Adam Rishon. Who created Adam Rishon? Oh, finally get back to Akash Baruch and it's about tracing things back to the root. So that's the famous answer to the famous question of what is Kibbutz Ephraim doing on the right side of Luchos? If you look at the Luchos, there's two sets of Luchos, which is a whole deep idea in its own right, which we've talked about in the past. But what's the right side? The right side has been Amla Makom, between us and Hashem. Right? Believe in Hashem, don't serve the Zorah, Shabbos. Look at the left side. You see mitzvahs between us. You know, don't kill, don't do adultery, don't steal. But what's Kibbutz Ephraim doing on the right side of the Luchos? So what's the answer? The answer is that the mitzvahs on the right side aren't been Adam Lakam, it's been Adam Lamakor. It's the mitzvahs that help you trace yourself back to your root. And the transition mitzvah from the right side to the left side, the last on the right side is Kibbutz Ephraim. Why? Because that's the mitzvah that teaches you how to trace yourself back to Kaddish Baruch Hu. It's the starting point of mitzvahs b'nei l'makom. It trains your mind. It teaches you how to relate to Hashem. You know, on a pure psychological level, it's interesting that a lot of people, the way they relate to Hashem, is the way they related to their parents. Meaning, your parents are, so to speak, your godlike figures in your life when you're a kid. They make the rules, they tell you what to do, they are your source of love, they are your source of structure, they are, so to speak, your world. And the way that you think of the God of the world is the way you think of your parents in most cases. And that's not by accident. It's fundamental, because Hashem is, in addition to being beyond any description. There are different ways that we relate to Hashem. We relate to Hashem as our Melech, as our King. We relate to Hashem as our Adam, as the ruler of the world. And we also relate to Hashem as our, you know, Avinu Shebashamayim, as our Father. And that's because Hashem created us. And there are, we're going to talk about the, the different formulations of Kavod and Yira and Ava and Yira and how these, these ideas come and connect. But it is very important to realize this idea of the, not only the, the psychological connection, which is very important, but the metaphysical connection in terms of learning how to trace yourself back to your source. And there's another very interesting observation. If you look at the Pasuk that gives us the mitzvah of Kibbutz of Aim, it's the same Pasuk that says that you can't, uh, that, that it's the same Pasuk that talks about um, keeping Shabbos. So what's Pshat? Why, why is it in the same Pasuk? So the Gemara Yuvama says that it's to teach you that you can't be Mechal Shabbos for Kibbut Right? So the Gemara Yuvama says you can't be Mechal Shabbos for Kibbut So the question is, what's the Havmin? Why would you thought you would be able to? And what's the connection between Chol Shabbos and Kibbut So there are, there are practical answers, which is that 
you know, if you're supposed to honor your parents, maybe you're supposed to do anything they tell you. So maybe if they tell you to be Mechal Shabbos, you'd be able to. So come to teach you that you can't be Mechal Shabbos if they teach you. We'll get to that later in terms of when parents ask you to do things like Vayel Halacha. In, 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 in a nutshell, the answer is no. You do not listen to your parents if they ask you the Vayel Halacha. But what's the deeper concept here? What's the connection between Shabbos and Kibravim? It's that what's the concept of Shabbos? Shabbos is going back to the root of creation. Right, Kadosh Baruch Hu created the world. Shabbos, every time we, we basically, there are three components of Shabbos. One is we go back to Masabratius. The other is about being present in the moment. It's a very meditative, spiritual day. And the other is talking about Zman Mashiach, talking about a future. But it all starts with going back to the roots, with going back to creation. So you might have thought that Kibbutz of Aim and Shabbos both tap into the concept of sourcing ourselves back to our root, right? Because Kibbutz of Aim is also all about going from step to step, tracing ourselves back to Hashem. And the same thing applies to Shabbos. So maybe if, you know, maybe Kibbutz of Aim can override Shabbos. So Kamashmal was the Gemara teaching us. The Gemara in Yavama is saying it doesn't. It's also interesting that in the, the Luchos, Shabbos is above Kibbutz of Aim, which you know, might indicate the hierarchy there as well. But that's just a fascinating thing to, to think about in terms of this this idea that so much of, of living a Jewish life is learning how to think in terms of hierarchies, in terms of categories, and also in terms of tracing yourself back to Hashem, which then gets to such an absolutely mind-boggling Makor, mind-boggling Gemara, where the Gemara says that Kibbutz Aim is even greater than having covered for Hashem. So, so it just seems to be illogical. It seems to be something which you not only doesn't make sense, but you shouldn't even be able to say something like that. Like, how can you possibly say that? But here's here's my chiddush. Here's what I think is going on here. Because what's the concept of greater? Greater isn't necessarily in terms of more important. It's in terms of more fundamental. Meaning what? Meaning that from the point of being a human being, in terms of the process of giving kavod to Hashem, of recognizing, we have to talk about what kavod means, but on a basic level, kavod is you give honor and respect to that which is true, to something you recognize as great, to something you recognize as important, as fundamental, as essential. Think about your role models, think about the people you look up, you look up to. You give respect, honor, and you admire that which is true. And the more something is rooted in truth, the more honor you give to them. So in terms of giving covered to Hashem, from your perspective, what do we say? That it starts with recognizing you didn't create yourself, you come from somewhere. Who created you? Your parents created you, but who created them? And ultimately get back to Hashem. So giving covered to your parents leads you to give and cover to Hashem, because the more you recognize your parents as your source, the more you recognize ultimately that Hashem is your source. So, from our perspective regarding the process, keep it of a aim precedes covered for Hashem and therefore includes covered for Hashem because it's only due to the covered you give to your parents that you ultimately will give true cover to Hashem and recognize Hashem as the ultimate source of existence. So why is Kibbutz Avim greater than Kavod for Hashem? Not because parents are greater than Hashem, but because it's only because and through the medium of Kibbutz Avim that you're going to truly give Kavod to Hashem. And that's the Rambam. The Rambam says something interesting. He says, and many of you shouldn't talk about this, this is basic Halacha 101, that you, you need to give Kavod to your parents no matter what, no matter who they are, even if they're Rasha. 
right? You have a parent who's mamish or rasha, mamish an evil person, without getting into the metaphysics of whether a person can be evil or only do evil. It's a classic conundrum, classic, very, very deep question. We're at root, we're all tov, we're all perfect and whole, and we sometimes aren't in touch with our root. But let's say a person lives a life of rishos. It's the famous vart for for the, the, the Seder night that he kechinav, you knock out the teeth of the rasha. Why are you knocking out the teeth? So the famous chasidish vart is that if you take the word rasha and you subtract the gematria of shinav, of his teeth, you get tzaddik, which means that you need to knock out the evil and you get back to the core. But without getting into the metaphysics of, of good and not good, I'll say a person's a rasha. They're in a varian. They're mechal shabbos for whatever it is. Um, so according to halacha, you have to still have covered for them. You have to still keep it of aim. Why? Because think about it. Keep it of aim, on the one hand, yes, it's about your actual parents. But on the other hand, it's about so much more. Giving honor to your parents is about learning how to source yourself back to your ultimate root. And it's almost about getting past them. Now, it's not about getting past them fundamentally, because ideally you have incredible parents who you also genuinely admire, respect, and look up to and honor. But even if they don't deserve it, number one, they still brought you to the world. You have to have gratitude for the fact that you exist because of them. No matter how horrible your childhood or your life is because of them, it doesn't matter. You exist because of them. Number two is that no matter what, despite who they are, even if they don't deserve your respect, you give them respect because that helps you source yourself back to something way beyond them, which is your ultimate root. So it's more about the concept than them. So now we get into this very interesting interesting question in terms of al-pi halacha, is a more about giving cover to your parents or giving cover to Hashem? Right? And you can say both. You can say one. You can say it's all about Hashem. You can say it's all about your parents, or you can say it's both. You can't really say neither, because that's, you know, in general, when you have sugis, there are options to say neither. In this case, that's not really the case. So let's think about it. So let's give a couple examples. Um, number one, let's say you have adopt, adopted par- adopted children, right? So the parents are basically adopted parents conceptually, meaning they are not the biological parents. They adopted these kids. So what's the nature of Kibbutz of Aim for this type of family? So in regards to Puruvu, that's a classic halacha question, and Rashi and Yuvamos and her first develops this as well. So, and based on uh, on these makaros, we can argue that they could fulfill the mitzvah Puruvu because Puruvu has multiple components. There's biologically bringing children into the world, and then there's raising them to be yasher and to be tzaddikim. And that's the concept of, by the way, a Rebbe being a father of children, which we'll talk about maybe a little later, is that there's two elements of being a father. One is bringing someone biologically, physically into the world. The other is raising them to fulfill their potential. One brings them to this world, one brings them to Olam Haba, to quote the phrase of the Rambam and the Gemara. So the idea, in terms of Puruvu, is that you could fulfill the concept of parenthood in terms of Puruvu from nurturing at least one half of that, which is the raising to be, so to speak, not only survive in this world, which is important to bring the Shabbos into this world, but also to thrive and to grow and to fully develop. So from that perspective, that's an interesting discussion. They would be able to at least fulfill a component of Puruvu, but in terms of keep it of aim, 
Does that child have a mitzvah kibbeh of him? So from the practical hakarsa for raising and nurturing, 100%. But from the perspective of being the fundamental source of life and the source of existence, you know, you can argue that they they don't have that element of kibbeh Why? Because they didn't bring you to the world. They might have helped you, might have raised you. You should definitely have a karsa tov. But in terms of the strict halachas of kibbeh are they your parents? They're not really your parents, right? Unless you want to say that on a practical level, which turns into something more fundamental, that there still is an element of them being your fundamental source of life and existence. Why? Because due to the fact that they nurture you, your continued life comes from them. So the initial, both the the actual DNA and the initial inception and conception and all of those stages, those are removed. That has nothing to do with them. But in terms of your current status of your continued existence, both very practically in terms of sustenance, but also more fundamentally in terms of your existential growth and 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 your your paradigms and, and your your inner world your inner perspective and how you so to speak have have continued to evolve in this world you could say that that comes from them and that that becomes essential on a fundamental level now this is very abstract it's not necessarily going to actually manifest in a halachic reality but there is room to argue that and also, it's just also one of those things where, on a very practical level, when it when it comes to certain halachas, there's a big difference between halachas bein chaverim bein anu l'makom. So, for example, we talked about is kibbutz of ema bein anu l'makom mitzvah, where it's really about Hashem, or is it bein anu chaver, where it's really about your parents, or is it about both? So, what's another nafkim, another practical difference would be on Yom Kippur, or the Sarah Shuvah, Who do you ask mechila from? Right, because if Kibbutz Aim is bin Al Mulchaveiro, you'd ask your parents. You say, you know, <laughs> the, the classic "I'm sorry" before, you know, before Yom Kippur, where you uh, hoping everyone asks their parents for mechila. But if it's bin Al Makom, you'd have to ask Hashem. Now, it's definitely bin Al Mulchaveiro, so you definitely should ask your parents. But there is also this bin Al Makom aspect where you. You know, in a certain sense, that's really what the shuvah is all about: is reconnecting with the Kaddish Baruch and rekindling that flame and redeveloping your own self-awareness and becoming your true self and connecting to your higher self uh, on many, many different levels. But now we get to a very interesting question, which is: Can your parents be mochel on their kavod? What does that mean? That means that uh, we'll talk and we'll mention some of the Gemaras in, in a couple minutes about what given covet to your parents is in terms of doing certain things for them and not doing certain things, uh, you know, so to speak, that are disrespectful and being able to help them, not sitting in their chair, things like that, not saying their name. So can they be mochel? Can they say, ah, that's okay, you can sit in my chair, you can say my name, you can do whatever you want, I don't really care, it's okay. So can they be mochel in their kavod? So on a, on, a very, on a very deep level, we have to understand what kavod means. Because kavod, we, we, we talked about this for, for a moment a minute ago, but we need to deepen it. Because the idea of kavod is all about values. You admire, you give respect, and you look up to that which you value and think is important. 
So if you think Torah is incredible, you'll look up to Rebbeim. If you think sports is incredible, you'll look up to sports stars. If you think movies is incredible, you'll look up to movie stars. It's about your values. It's about what you think is important, what you give weight to. Kaved means heavy, right? That's why the idea of, of being something like, something is kal in your eyes, it's light. It's not important. If it's kaved, if it's heavy, you give cover to it. It's the concept of what you think about, what you perceive as important, as real, as significant, as true, as distinct, as profound. And the more you're in touch with truth, the more you give respect, honor, the more you admire, the more you're in awe of godless in Torah, godless in truth, godless in and greatness in what's really important in life. And... When someone represents something true, something deep, something transcendent, something great, you give them kavod. So the idea of giving kavod to a Talmud Chacham is giving kavod to everything that Talmud Chacham represents. The Torah that he's acquired, but also the, the, the infinite that he represents, the, the fact that he represents Hashem. You're really giving kavod to Hashem. So it's the same thing when it comes to giving kavod to your parents. What is the kavod? What is the cover? What what are you recognizing? What are you giving respect to? So are you giving respect to them? What what would you be respecting them for? Number one, you're you're respecting, you're honoring, you're admiring, you're in awe of the fact that they are your creators. They are godlike beings to you. They brought you in the world. They're shut from their partners with Hashem and bringing you into this world. They've, they've supported you. They've given you money and attention and energy. And they changed your diapers and they fed you and they brought you to school and they listened to your tantrums and they listened to your problems and they helped you and they took care of you and they brought you here and did this for you. And they're just like the endless, they taught you. They were patient. They gave you everything. And you see truth in that you see oh my gosh these are my 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 sources of existence and therefore it's their kavod in that case if it was their kavod then you could be mevatla because they own it they could basically say i give up on my kavod it's my kavod to give i can give it up but what if kibravim is either in addition to or only about something much more than Ben Amla Chavero, uh, uh, the actual parents' covenant, if it's at least also about Hashem's covenant, Ben Amla Makam. Meaning what? Meaning that the truth, the, the, the profound nature, the reason why I give respect to my parents is because it also is about recognizing where I truly come from, which is HaKadosh Baruch Hashem created me. So if the Kavod is about Hashem, and if it's about recognizing Hashem, the parents can't be mevatel Hashem's Kavod. They can't say, oh, I don't care about that. You can do whatever you want. No, it's not about the parents, or at least it's not only about the parents. It's at least also about Hashem's Kavod. I mean, if the whole point is to get you to recognize Hashem as your source, and that's done through the parents, the parents can't be mavata. They can't give up on that. They can't say, oh, it doesn't matter to us. It's not a question of whether it matters to them. Number one, it should matter to them. Number two, it doesn't matter if it matters to them, because this isn't their covered to give up on. It's Hashem's. Right? So, it's, it's one of those things where, If you want to take a step deeper, you can even argue that they might not even be able to be involved of their own kavod. Meaning, let's say there are a couple options. It's only the parents' kavod, it's only Hashem's kavod, or it's both. Even if it's both, it could be that the parents' kavod 
it comes from the Hashem's covenant. I mean, their covenant is connected to the fact that it's been Lamakum because it's all about sourcing back to Hashem. So maybe even their covenant, they won't be able to be Mokhan. Now, the Gemara says explicitly they could be Mavato their covenant, so we need to think about that. We'll get to that in a couple minutes. But the idea that they would be able to be Mavato their covenant is only their covenant, not Hashem's covenant. So we need to think about when they could be Mavato their covenant because it would still need to be in a case where it's not giving up on Hashem's covenant. So. Uh, it's one of those really interesting sugyas to think about because this definitely relates to the same sugya as Tamachacham being mevat to their kavod. Because it's one of those same things where what's the kavod you give a Tamachacham? Is it about his Torah? It's about, you know, is it about what he accomplished? What they actually created and became? So it's very personal, it's very subjective, and they can say, oh, I'm giving up on it. Or it's nothing to do with the Tamachacham. It's all about Hashem. And the Tamachacham can say, I'm mevat my kavod, because then. How can you be mevat Hashem's covered? It's not your covered to give up. So very, very similar discussion. Uh, so the Gemara Kedushin, the Aflamah Bezo and Alf, says that father is allowed to be Mochan's covered. Um, so you have to really think about what this means. You can say that either the Gemara is saying that this is the Teretz, it's really uh, more about the actual Binam Lechavero, the father's covered, or it's saying that no, the, the father and mother can only be mevatal on their own covered. But this is only Alp, this is only regarding the Bin Al-Khavira component, but not the Bin Al-Makam component, because the Bin Al-Makam component between you and Hashem, that is not up to them to be Mavatal. So you'd have to say that maybe it's only talking about a case where giving up on your personal kavod is not going to affect how the child relates to Hashem and doesn't create um I mean, you want there to be a sensitivity to relating to something true and something great. So if you teach your child that, oh, it's, it, this isn't important, you can completely disregard me. Now, just to be very clear, get, being mevat on your cover doesn't mean, being mocha on your cover doesn't mean that they can disrespect. It just means you don't have to do something specific. We'll talk about this too. There's a difference between positive and negative. The lack of a positive is still somewhat negative because you lack the positive, but it's very different than doing something negative. Doing something negative creates disconnection. Doing something, doing something that, or should I say, the lack of doing something positive is the missed opportunity of creating some connection, creating something positive, creating something powerful. That is still negative from the perspective of you should always be doing positive, but it's very different than doing something actively negative. So being mocha on your covered allows you to not do something positive. I mean, you don't have to pull out your chair. You don't have to um, get your parent a, a cup of coffee or, or a cup of juice or pick them up from the airport, something like that. But it doesn't mean you could do something negative. And that's very, very important. So let's take this a step further because before we move on to our next topic... There are two case studies that I want to discuss. Very, very interesting case studies. The first case study, in terms of the nature of giving covet to parents, whether they can be mevatel or covet, how that works. The first case study is Yaakovina. So Yaakovina, it's one of these fascinating stories where Chazal, they criticize Yaakov for something very interesting. They say that Yaakov was punished for the time that he spent with Lavan. He spent. He ended up spending about twenty years. Because what happened? First, he left. He left his home. Yaakov, Yaakov was sent away by Rivka and Yitzchak. He's basically sent away to get married. 
And he spent 14 years learning in the base medrash of Shem Bever. He wasn't punished for that. But then he spent 20 years uh, working for Lavan, and he spent two years traveling. So 22 years is away, basically, by Lavan. And he was punished for those 22 years. Why? Because Chazal say that he didn't do kibbutz of Ein for those 22 years. He should have come home. He should have come home. And because he didn't do kibbutz of Ein for those 22 years, Yosef ended up being separated from him for 22 years in Mitzrayim. Mita connected Mita. So what's the classic question that everyone asks? It's one of these classic questions that's such a good question. What are you talking about? He was away for 22 years. First of all, he wasn't away for 22 years. He was supposed to go away for 22 years because his parents sent him away and told him not to come back. They told him to, to, to give up on their kibbutz. I mean, they were mevatel. They were mochel in their kavod. They said, you don't have to do kibbutz. Go and get married. So they sent him away. The Gemara Kedushin and Laman Bezim and Alf says explicitly, parent is allowed to be mochel in their kavod. And the Gemara Megillah, and uh, what Amman is, uh, I think it's, it's Tasvavim and Beis, says that Yaakov wasn't responsible for Kibbutz when he learned Torah in the Beis Medrashim of Aver, but he was responsible for the 22 years they spent in the house of Lavan. So, what's going on here? Why was he, why weren't they Mavatil on the Kavod for the 22 years in the, in the house of Lavan? Even more importantly, the entire purpose of leaving and the whole purpose that they were Mavatil and were mochel on their kavod for Yaakov to leave their house was for him to get married. And what was he doing in the house of Lavan? He was there to work to be able to get married to Rachel Maya. So why are Chazal telling us that Yaakov was responsible for neglecting Kibbutz for those 22 years, and that's why he was punished, and and the onish was that he was separated from Yosef for 22 years. Why was Yaakov responsible? Right? They... Yitzchak and Refka wanted him to get married. They were Mokhal and Skavod, and we know from the Gemara and Kedushin that Mechila works. So if the Chiv of is, you know, was, was being given up by his parents, I mean, they were Mokhal in it, why, why should he be Chayev? Why should he be responsible? And the Medrash actually, Medrash Rabbah says that he was, they, it wasn't even like there was a need, right? Meaning, during that time, Esav was taking care of them according to the Midrash and Midrash Abba. So it's not like they were lacking someone taking care of them. Esau was very mendactic in Kibbutz Avayim. We know that from Midrashim, it's a very deep topic, we're not going to get into it right now, but Esau was very mendactic in Kibbutz Avayim. So it's not even like they were lacking on someone taking care of their needs. It's just the, the proactive kavod that they were lacking, and they were mochel on that. So why is, he, why is Yaakov responsible? So let's let's talk about some options. This is a very profound sugi that we show them to try to Try to figure out what to do with this. This very interesting problem. So there's a couple options. So the Rush, quoted by Shinta Kubetza, says maybe it's that Yaakov still had a key. Meaning, what does Mechila do? Meaning, what's the mechanics of how these things work metaphysically? There's a key of a Kibravaim. There's Mechila. What does the Mechila do? Does it knock it out? Meaning, complete bitl, there's nothing there? Or is there still a key? It's kind of like the idea of being putter from a mitzvah. Right? When a woman is putter from a mitzvah, say she has mangrama, there's still a kiyam. That's why a woman can still shake lulav. It, she doesn't have a chiyav, but she has a kiyam. So if a father doesn't want the kavod, right? Yitzchak and Rivka were, were mochel. Um, so the son or daughter still has a kiyam of kibbeh So what would the svar be? The svar would be that 
from the perspective of the child, meaning one is that the parent wants it, the other is that the child has a key the ability to give it. So the child has the responsibility to always try to figure out a way to source themselves back to their parents, ultimately to Hashem. So it's one of those things where even if the parent doesn't want it, the child should still try to do it. And this is a very deep topic, um, especially in relation to other sugyas in Shas and also in sugyas in Machshava, where there's, and the Maharal talks about this, there's different types of chesed. There's chesed where there's a need, and there's chesed which is just doing it for the sake of giving. So responsible chesed is you look for someone who needs it, or you wait for someone to ask you for it, and then you give it to them. Proactive chesed is you are a giver and you're looking to give. Avraham Avinu went outside of his tent and looked. He didn't wait for someone to knock on his door. He went out looking. Right? And the Siam, one of the classic problems with the Siam not giving towards the Mishkan, is that they were they basically waited until there was a need. They they said, well, wait till all of Klai Yisrael give. And once they give, we'll see what's left over. So they were they were very much reprimanded for doing this because it turned out that everything was given and there was no longer a need. So what was the problem? The problem was that they were being reactive. They should have been proactive. That's why they were attacking that by the second time when they gave proactively and they actually all gave the same exact gift to show that we're not giving because there's a need. We're giving for the sake of giving Dasha. So what's the idea? The idea is that maybe... Yaakov was punished because of his level that he should have still proactively done keep revving, even though they were mochel and they revatel the, the requirement. The only thing is that Akim isn't something you're high for. You don't get punished for not being makayim. You get punished when there's a chiv, and meaning. It, when there's a an, an ideal keeming, it's one of these things where the rejection is the very nature of the answer. The the, the rejection is that okay, but we don't see anyone being punished for not being makayim uh, a kiyum when the chiv is is mevatel. But you could say that maybe Yaakov was on the level that he was punished for that. So it's a it's a very lofty uh, approach in terms of where he went wrong. And obviously, we're talking uh, about the Evos, We're talking about uh, on on a level you can't even comprehend, where the infinitesimal problem becomes expanded to the extent that they are being punished for something that you can't even comprehend doing wrong. As in, we're talking about a completely different level. So that's the first approach. That was a key. So the Chida gives another approach and says that maybe not in the Lushen of Kiyom, but in the Lashon of maybe there's still a Chiv L'Tseisi Deshemayim. So a Chiv L'Tseisi Deshemayim is a classic Shas concept where even if there's a Patur, even if you can get out of something, there's still an opportunity to fulfill it. Meaning what? Meaning that even if there's a, even if there's no Chiv Alpidin, meaning that based in and in the world of Teva, you're not required to do it, there's still a, a Chiv from a lofty idealistic, you know, from from you know, it's literally Yudei Shemayim in terms of like, you know, a heavenly requirement. But it's the idea that you won't be punished in this world for not doing it, but you should still do it. It's stronger than Kim. It's stronger than the concept of Kim. The only rejection is that even if it is a Chiyav Shemayim, you're usually not, you're not punished for a Chiyav Shemayim. Meaning it's not... It, it's not something you're usually punished for, but then that gets into the, the whole question, the classic sugi and shas, of what's the nature of a chiv l'tzeis 
And the stronger the Chiv is, meaning there's a couple options for how you approach a Chiv of the And we're going to have to, if you want to really be mindless, you can look in Tosus, Bab, and Sia, Dapsadi, Aleph, and Aleph. But there are, there are different ways to approach this concept. It comes up in many different circuits and shots, because in Halacha, the concept of the Shemayim is that when Bezdin doesn't give out the actual Chiv, I mean, in the world of Din, you're not required to do it, you still should do it. But how do you approach it? So there are different levels, different tiers. Right? One approach is that it's just midas chasidus. There's no real chiv. But you could do it if you want to. It's the right thing to do. The problem with that is that in this approach, there's no real chiv. Right? There's no actual chiv. There's no requirement. There's no metaphysical opening for you to fulfill. It's just something that you could do. The other approach, the second approach, is that no, it's a real chiv, but it's a lower level chiv, meaning it's lower than a full-fledged chiv, but there's a real chiv. Based in can't be mechaiv you. No one in court can say you have to do this, but in terms of al-pi shamayim, there's an actual chiv there, so in the based in shalmata, not only do they want you to do it, but you really have to do it. Based in can't punish you for not doing it, because it's kind of this gray area in between, but there, there, is, there still is some level of chiv. And the third approach is that it's mamish, it's a full chiv, right? And the Me'iri goes as far to say in certain cases where it, it, it's such a full chiv, the Me'iri says, that your puzzle ages until you pay this, meaning it's, it's an actual chiv. Beisden can't require you to do it because of a limitation in Beisden, right? Meaning it's a full chiv, and it's just a technicality that Beisden can't make you do it. So in this case... If you want to take that approach to the Lutesi De Shemayim, you'd say that Yaakov actually had a full chiv. It's hard to say that, right? Why? Because the parents were mochel. Rivka and Yitzchak were mochel. So what can you say? You can say that they were mochel, but there's still chiv there. Now maybe it's not to the extent of the Meiri. Maybe we take the second approach and say there's a lower level chiv still there that he could and should still, should still be Mekayim. And this actually comes up in, in many cases in Shas, but one of the classic cases is Kim Lebed So Kim Lebed especially for Mamon, the concept is, is that if someone has multiple, mul- let's say they do multiple things wrong, right? So let's say Chas Shalom, someone murders someone, and while they murder someone, they also, the, the, you know, the blade or the bullet goes through their shirt, so they ruin the, the guy's shirt. Or let's say they do whatever. The, the point is where there's multiple Onshim, I mean, there's multiple chiyuvim. One is that he's a rotzeach, he's chayv So The other is that he did nezikin, he's chayv to pay mamon. So in that case, the way that Kim Lebi did rabbi is that we establish it that he gets the, the he only has to do the bigger one. Right? We establish it that he only does the bedirabamine, he does the bigger one. So in this case, he's not going to have to pay the money because he's getting killed. But the question is, even though there's two chiyuvim and he only gets one, how does it work? So one approach is that the bigger one is mevatel. It knocks out the smaller one. So he was chayiv misa and he was chayiv to pay money. He only gets the chayiv misa. We ignore the fact that he did some monetary damage. It gets knocked out. The other approach is that no, it's not that you're not chayiv to do the smaller one. It's that you are chayiv to do the smaller one. But what happens? Either one of two options. Either the bigger onesh, the bigger punishment, includes the smaller one, both in terms of kapara, so you have to say from kapara, because, you know, how are you paying back the money here? But in terms of kapara, the getting the chi of misa, the chi of misa includes the chi of mamon, 
Or we have this idea where there's a technicality, where the technicality is that when it comes to someone who does two things and without getting into all the details, it's usually when there's one Misa, right? There's one Misa that was both murder and uh, did some monetary damage, did some Nazikin. So the, based in, this is once again a technicality, if you learn the Sukkis in depth, this is how some of the Rishim understand it, is that there's a technicality where Bezin has to define the Misa in one way. Was the Misa Ritzicha, a Misa of murder, an action of murder, or was the Misa of Nazikin, where you did damage? And they're gonna take the worst one for multiple reasons. One is to give you a bigger kapara, but they're going to define this act as the worst act. So really, there's two things. There's the fact that you are chayimis and you owe money. But based in by technicality, has to define it one way. So it's going to be defined as a meiser etzicha and you're going to receive the death penalty. But really, there's also a nezik in here. And really, there is also a chayim mamon. But based in just couldn't create that chayim. That second chiv is chayv, let's say, sidei shemayim. It's a chiv where you really should be paying the money, but Beisden doesn't have the ability to make you. What's the big naf? I mean, the practical the difference is, practical application is, should you be paying the money here? If, you, if the the bigger chiv knocked out so small one, or if the bigger chiv, the bigger onesh of Ritzicha, uh, where it creates a chiv misa, if that includes the nezik and the chiv mamon, then you're fine. But if it's just technicality based and couldn't require you to do both, then really you should be paying the money as well, but Basin just can't make you do that. So that's one approach for, in this case as well, for why Yaakov um, was responsible, is because he should have still done the Kibbutzim since a different Lashon than we talked about before when it comes to Kiyom, um, which is the lesson of the Russian Institute of This is the Chidav, says there's still Chivli Sesidei The Minchas Chinach gives a different approach, and he says that, and this is once again the, the beautiful Nafkamin, is that Yaakov Vinu was only Potter from what? From Kibir Aim in regards to Bin Amla Chaveiro for his parents, because they were Mocho. But he wasn't Potter from Kibbut of Aim when it comes to Bin Amun Makam because the Rivka and Yitzchak couldn't be Mochel on that. So the Minchus Kanach, he discusses the concept of Kibbut Aim in terms of whether it's a Mesim Bin Amun or Bin Amun Makam. And if you take that approach on the Minchus Kanach, we can use it to answer this thing. I don't, I don't know if he specifically talks about how to answer it here, but he discusses this major distinction and we can use that concept to answer our question here, which is that Rivka and Yitzchak couldn't create a patur from the Binan Lamakam between Yaakov Avinu and Hashem in regards to the Chiv there. So there's a fourth approach, and this fourth approach, which I'm going to suggest, is a very powerful approach. It's it's actually, it's based off of the Chavetz Chaim in a different sugi we'll get to in a minute, but it's the concept that the Machayev was actually retroactive, meaning what? Meaning that he was Pater. He was Pater 100%, and he was absolutely off the hook for Kibravim. The whole reason why he was supposed to go there in the first place was to get married. He did that, and he fulfilled his parents' wishes. It was actually a fulfillment of Kibravim, if you really think about it, because the greatest Kibravim is to listen to your parents. His parents told him to go, to go to get married, to, um, to, to ultimately find Rachel and Leah, of course. And really, there should be no problem. But what was the problem? The problem, if you look, if you look at the Lashon of Chazal, it's that he, he, sp- he spent all this time by Lavan. So what was the problem? The problem wasn't going to the house of Shem Ve'ever. 
if you think about it, why? Uh, I've talked about that we've given Shirim on this, it's in, the, it's in my Sefer, that the reason he had to go Shemir was to fulfill the Ratzon of his parents, was to be able to become the person who both was roi and able to not only build Klai Yishal, build Shvatim, but to maintain everything that he was in the house of Lavan. It's the, the famous idea that uh, he basically tells Esav, he tells Esav, like, I, I, I lasted in the house of Lavan. How did he last in the house of Lavan? Because of the time he spent in the Yeshiva Shemir. So that was important. But once he married Rachel and Leah, he then spent more time in the house of Lavan. And he spent two years traveling. Meaning what? It was the fact that he didn't go back to his parents when he had the chance that showed that the entire time he was in concern of his parents. Now, once again, we are talking about Yaakovina's level. Not for a second can we be judgmental. We're just trying to understand what Chazal are referring to. What do Chazal mean when they say that he was responsible for this? It means that the fact that there was a time where he could have gone back and he didn't, it retroactively undoes all of the time that he didn't go. Where do we see this concept? So just to understand the concept, and just to, to say it one more time, there was, there were many, many, many years where he was supposed to be by Lavan. But the fact that there was time after that, during those 22 years, where he didn't have to be there, and he could have gone back, and he could have fulfilled the Mitzvah Kibavim with his parents in person, but he didn't, it undoes, it kind of is mevatal, it, it retroactively undoes all the time that he was there in his right, meaning he had a right to be there, it undoes all that time and makes the entire thing null and void. And it turns all the 22 years into time that he didn't fulfill the mitzvah of Kibavim, even though at the time he was fulfilling the mitzvah of Kibavim. It's just because there was a time where he could have, but he didn't, it shows that he can't use the excuse of, I'm only here because you want me to be here. Really, um, there was an element lacking. And the concept is basically that if there's a moment of clarity that can retroactively reveal your true intent on other things, it nullifies even the good things that you did as well. So we see this in, in a positive and negative sense in different circles. So the Chavetz Chaim, he applies this to the classic question of how can you be allowed to be Mevatel Torah and support your family? How can you, uh, we have a mitzvah of Talmud Torah. It's uh, Talmud Torah is connected to Kulam, it's Mamash uh, Mitzvah, you have a, a, a day and night you should be toiling in, in the beauty of Torah. So what's the, the patur to go and support your family? So the patur is Osef Mitzvah Pater Mene Mitzvah. Right, you have a mitzvah to support your family, and therefore you're Pater from learning. But what does the Chavetz Chaim say? But that's only if you're learning Torah when you come home. That's only if you're learning Torah in your spare time. Because if you're learning Torah in your spare time, it's showing the only reason I'm being mevatel Torah, the only reason I'm not learning Torah all day is because I have a chiv of supporting my family. But if when you go home, and when you have spare time, you're not learning Torah, but you're wasting your time, you don't have the because you are not, you are basically revealing that if you weren't at work, you wouldn't be learning Torah either. So it's a retroactive Petur, it's also a retroactive negation of the Petur as well. So that's a, a very interesting example. The Maharal develops the same idea by the mitzvah of Menorah and the Melchama when it comes to Hanukkah. He says that when it came to the miracle of Hanukkah, why did we have the, the nace of the Menorah after the Melchama? The, the Melchama should have been a big enough miracle. 
but he said that the the milchama was a natural miracle and it's very easy to say that the milchama came from our natural might you know when it came to purim there was no open miracle it was really only the milchama when it came to hanukkah the, there was a milchama and the, the nace of the miracle. why so the Maral says that you might have thought that the, the, the Milchama was just lucky. It came to human might. But after the nace of the Neros, it retroactively reveals that the Milchama also came from Hashem. So it's a two-step process. Only because of the, the miracle of the candles, the fact that it lasted eight nights, that shows that the Milchama also came from Hashem. So it's a retroactive realization. And when it came to the woman... In regards to the Chet Ha'egel, we have a very similar concept, where the women are praised for the fact that they didn't give gold to the Egel. But why should they be praised? I mean, a lot of people, they wouldn't give tzedakah because they want their money, they want their gold. But what, when were they praised and why were they praised? Because they didn't give their gold and all their vessels and all their jewelry, they didn't give it to the Egel, but they did give it to the Mishkan. So because they gave it to the Mishkan, they showed that, no, the reason we didn't give it to the Eagle wasn't because we're selfish. It's because we didn't join in the Chet right? Meaning what? That they disagreed in principle with the Chet not just because it meant that they had to give their money. Because when they agreed to give their money to the Mishkan, it shows that when it comes to something in principle we value and we agree with, we are willing to give everything we own. When it comes to something we disagree with, we're not. Because if they would have just never given their money, why would they be praised? Why would that be something incredible? That's just something, it's just in principle you're selfish. But the fact that they are selfless, but they chose when to be selfless, that's the same thing. And there's another very interesting example when it comes to the patur uh, of paying for bittel Torah when a person's injured. When it comes to the zikin, there's many things that you have to pay for. Right? So the Pasuk says... The Pasuk says, I'm not going to quote the exact Pasuk, but the Pasuk says something along the lines where if someone gets injured by someone and then he gets up and goes outside, then the one who struck him is absolved. So the question that a lot of the Pasuk ask is, okay, why are you Pater? What about the Bittal Torah? Well, meaning what? Meaning if someone gets injured and he gets you know, hospital, basically gets put in the hospital, and then he gets up and goes back to work, so there's all these different cheshbonas of what you have to pay, what you don't have to pay, but why should you be potter about the pitil Torah that he, you know, this person, because of the fact that he injured him, lost all this time to learn Torah. So some are, are, are medactic and alushan. It says that if he gets up and goes outside, meaning what? If once he got up, it's the same idea of the chavotchem, essentially. It's a little more of a drush, so you don't have to, you know, include this in your notes of real this, but... It basically, it says if he goes outside, meaning what? If he wants to get up, he went uh, immediately started learning Torah. It shows that the only reason he wasn't learning Torah is because he was injured, right? You were Mavatul's Torah. But we're talking about a case where he got up and goes outside. Meaning what? If someone gets up and simply goes outside, goes, it shows that the reason why he wasn't learning Torah wasn't because you injured him, is because he doesn't learn Torah. He, would have, he wouldn't have been learning anyways. It, it's one of those things where you see retroactively a person's value system by what he does in other important situations. So that concept is basically the same thing here, where the fact that Yaakov didn't go back when he could have is the reason that all those other years where he had a real, real svara for why he wasn't going, because he was fulfilling the midst of keeping up aim, there is still a lack in that because it shows that he wouldn't have gone anyways. And once again, we need to understand that this is beautiful, um, this is great Torah, but you need to be very, very careful with how you relate to the Avos. 
Um, but it is just a very interesting, <clears throat> very interesting case to think about. And it really shows a lot of the things we talked about in terms of Kibav Aim, whether it's between Bidan Lachaver or Bidan Lamakam, in terms of being Mavatal, how it works, where the Chiv is, once you're Mavatal, how the Chiv remains, etc., etc. Another very interesting case study, a very interesting case to think about, is the classic case of Dan Benansina. So, Dan Benansina, a non Jewish man, he somehow got his hands on this very valuable stone for the Choshe Mishpat. A bunch of uh, the, the representatives of the Jewish people came and tried to buy the, the stone, but the key to unlock the stone was under his father's pillow. This is a non-Jewish guy, and his his father was sleeping at the time, and the key was under his father's pillow, and he said, I'm sorry, I can't sell it to you. And they offered to raise the price, and he said, I'm sorry, I still I can't sell it to you. And they went away, and... Hashem made it that he received a paraduma, and they came back to get the paraduma, and he only requested the amount of money that he lost out from, perform, from performing Kibbutz Aim back then. So this is like the classic wonder, wonderful case of Kibbutz Aim. the fact that we're learning from Anandru, there's a classic question in terms of um, the, the moral and natural intellectual truth of Kibbutz Aim, which, why do we need a mitzvah for it? That's a discussion we can have a different time. But the question is like this. Um, assuming the non-Jews have a Mitzvah aim, which they do, um, because of, once again, the, it's a very logical, rational Mitzvah, um, what is going on in the story? It sounds like a crazy story. Right? Is this a chiv? You're not allowed to wake up your father to make a million dollars? And to take this even a step further, number one, this is a kiyom ase. A kiyom ase, you don't have to give up that much money for a kiyamase, right? For for a bitul ase, um, you, know, you spend up to twenty percent of, of of your money on a, on a mitzvah ase. But you don't have to lose that much money on a mitzvah ase. You know, up to twenty percent. This person, and there's a classic machlokas in terms of the exact numbers. But are you really was this person chayev? Then the scene is chayev to give that much money for kibavim. So. Obviously, there's a couple of different options. One option is that yes, you are. The other option is no, just me as But to take this step further, wouldn't his father have wanted him to wake him up in order to get the money? You ever think about that? Like, imagine like that conversation they had when the guy, when the father woke up. The father is, you know, gets up, comes down, says, "Ah, anything happened?" He says, "Yeah, these guys came by. They wanted to pay a million dollars for that stone." And the father said, "So where are they?" And he's like, "Oh, I told them you were sleeping. We couldn't do it, and they left." Like, what do you think the father's response is going to be? So wouldn't the father have wanted him to wake him up to get the money? So, again, there's different ways of approaching it. You can say no. You can say the father was very mocking on sleep. You can say the father didn't care about money. Maybe they were very wealthy already. You don't know these details. It's not very clear from the... Yeah, one second, whenever you analyze a story or a text, you need to understand the details you're given and the details you're not given and where the gaps are to answer the problems. So it could be the father was very mocked on sleep. It could be the father was very ill. If he had woken up, the father would have died. could be that these are all... Hey, Tim says, well, we don't know. We're coming up with possible solutions. It could be the father didn't care about money, either because he was very wealthy or didn't want money, didn't value money. Those were all options. It could be that, no, the father really would have wanted the money, but either, number one, the father is not allowed to be mochel on kavod. Once again, that's where the nafimi comes in, meaning what? Either the father, father can't be mochel on kavod because there's a chiyab in the malcolm. It's not only about giving out to your father, but giving... You know, it's about how you relate to Hashem. Or really, the father can be mochel in his kava, but 
Number one, you need an explicit mechila, right? As in, this is something we haven't talked about yet, but maybe the only way you can be mochel in your kavod is if the father actually says, a mochel in my kavod. But you can't really get the father to be mochel in his kavod here because the father is sleeping. Or number two, back to the Yaakov Avinu case, there's still a kiyom or a chivot zesidei shemayim, like we saw with the Rush and the Chida and some of the other shitas that we saw in Shitik Mubetzas quoted it. Um, so these are, once again, a couple different options for how to relate to this. It's not such um, a Pasha case. It sounds like a very, very interesting case. There is obviously a very interesting discussion of why Hashem repaid him with a paraduma. And there are different approaches. One, the, the, the Al-Kiyosek gives a very interesting approach in his introduction to Hechos Kibbutz He says that Kibbutz it seems to be a logical mitzvah, but there's also a chok element to the mitzvah as well. And that's kind of, you know, very apropos and really kind of like um, quid pro quo, so to speak, where he illogically, like the father, I mean, even if the father would have wanted to be woken and there would have been no obligation of Kibavim, he still had this display of Kibavim, which was a fulfillment of Kibavim. He, he goes into this whole thing, which is basically how this was an expression of a chok, which seems to make no sense, and that's why he received Paraduma, which is the ultimate symbol of a chok, something which has no logical component. That's one approach. The other approach is that really... Uh, there's once again, paraduma is a very deep topic. There's different approaches to how to relate to a chok. One is that there's no logical component that makes no rational sense. The other is that it makes some rational sense. That's why a lot of the Rishonim do try to give, a lot of the commentaries do try to give rational explanations to the chukim. Um, but one approach to the paraduma and to really a lot of these chukim is that they're post-rational. It's not that they're illogical and they contradict reason. It's that they transcend reason. And because this individual, because Dan Ben Nasina displayed an act of defying or transcending reason and doing something which is so devoted to a certain principle of, of spiritual truth and spiritual spiritual value, he received the paraduma, which is once again the paradigmatic hook of committing to the truth irrespective of whether it resides within the realm of reason, perhaps because it transcends reason, not that it contradicts it. That's a very deep philosophical discussion about the nature of reason and philosophy and logic to begin with, um, something that we have talked about in the past. Um, in in my Sefer and Parshas Chukas, uh, we have a full, full discussion on this, and we've given some shirim on this. Actually, in, in the shir we gave last year, in relation to the the journey from Pesach to Shavuos, we really delved very deep into this topic. But I want to move on to a couple more very interesting topics when it comes to Kibbutz Aim. One of these topics is gets back to our original question of the fact that the Pasuk frames it in two different ways. One Pasuk frames it as a mitzvah of Kibud, of giving honor, and the other Pasuk frames it in the Lushan of Yira. Uh, of being in awe or fear or, or definitely something else. We need to understand what these relate to. So the Maharal says explicitly that this this is very in, important and that the Kavan Yira, they, they go hand in hand. They, they're two components of how to approach your parents. And the Gemara in Kedushan, Dachlam and Aleph Hamabes, actually breaks down and goes through, it says, 
It goes through all these different examples of what you shouldn't do, and then it goes, um, and, and then basically it says all these different things which relate to kibbutz and different things which relate to, which relate to more. So, um, just to break it down in terms of which one relate to fear. So, for fear, for mora, um, you, you're not allowed to stand in your father's, um, you know, seat um, or his fixed place. You know, you're not allowed to sit in his place either. Um, you can't contradict his statements or say something that, that contradicts him, and you're not allowed to choose sides when he's arguing with someone, which is interesting. Like you're not allowed to choose sides, meaning it sounds like you're not even allowed to choose your father's side. I mean, you're not supposed to get involved in his arguments. That's a lack of respect um, to think that he needs you to side with him. Or um, there's different ways of formulating it, but it's just a very interesting that it's not that you can't take the other person's sides. You're not even allowed to choose sides. And in regards to Kibud, um, the Lashon is basically Machal uh, Mishka, Malbish, Mechisa. You basically do all the things that would help him in service. So you give him food and drink, um, you dress and you cover him, you bring him in, you take him out, um, and you basically do all of his different household needs. It's, it's just an element of taking care. So what's the, the theme of fear and the theme of honor? So it's very, very clear if you break down the examples that Chazal give that these are two fundamentally different attitudes and two components of how to relate to your parents. When it comes to um, the yira, it's all the things that you should not do that display disrespect, right? So you don't stand where he stands. You don't sit where he stands. You don't contradict him. It's all the things that if you had done that, that would show a, a very blatant and expressive example of disrespect and in terms of giving kavod it's all about doing things which show respect which show honor which show love you give him food you give so you, you take care of your mother you take care of your father you do what they need and that's how you display your kavod so in general we need to delve into this concept because this is a powerful idea the Maral talks about this in so many different cases what, what's really going on here the concept of kavod as we explained is your value system is what you associate with truth, with something transcendent, something great, something profound, something deep, something meaningful. You give respect, you honor, you admire, you look up to that which is true. In terms of Yira, so Yira is usually defined as fear, but the higher translation, the Ramchal uh, explains in the Sisharim, the higher translation is awe. Because Yira comes from the same root as Re'iya, which is to see. And when you see something that is that, that is worthy of giving cover to and respect, you also have this feeling of distance, of dread, of fear, of, of, of they're, they're incredible. They're too much. And you, you're very, very careful. It's like when you're, when you're next to your sibling, you act one way. When you're next to your best friend, you act one way. When you're next to your... Um, you know, your regular, let's say your, your your colleague at work, you act one way. When you're next to your role model, your rabbi, your teacher, someone who you look up to, someone who has taught you, someone who has transformed your life, someone who you think is an embodiment uh, of absolute greatness, you, on the one hand, feel so close to them. You just want to be with them and take care of them and give to them. But you also feel really 
unworthy almost of being in their presence you're scared to say anything to say maybe you'll say the wrong thing maybe you don't think you deserve to say anything. maybe you're just it's like when you're with someone who's truly great it's it's awe inspiring as in on the one hand you feel so close on the other hand you feel so distant on the one hand, you want to come closer on the other hand you want to just get further away and that's the paradox of covered in europe that's really the paradox of ava in europe because kavod is is really in in the the camp of ahava, I'm getting closer of love, and in and in Machshava, these are really the two principles of how to relate to Hashem, and how to relate to your parents, how to relate to Tamachacham, and how to relate to truth, ahava and yira. Ahava and yira are two sides of the same coin. It's that you want to get closer and you want to go back. It's the, the Ramak talks about Ratz Vashuv. You're constantly going closer to Hashem, but whenever you get close, you realize that you got to move yourself back because you need to recognize how incredibly awe-inspiring and awesome it truly is. And Ahava is about getting close, about loving, giving, expanding, contributing, becoming very connected to. And Yira is about recognizing that there needs to also be boundaries making sure you don't do something wrong. You don't create distance. And in your relationship with Hashem, in terms of halacha, in terms of mitzvahs, that's asay versus los asay. Right? And asay, mitzvahs asay, are all about creating, the Maral talks about mitzvahs as tzavta, comes from the lashon of tzavta, which means connection. Mitzvahs are about connecting you to the infinite, connecting you to your source, connecting you to Hashem. A los asay is making sure you don't create disconnect. So, we talked about a couple of minutes ago, what if you don't do an assay? So you missed an opportunity to connect. That's still something negative because you missed an opportunity. But los assay is if you create a disconnect. It's like you cut the ropes, right? As opposed to building something stronger, you've created a cut, a gash. You've created a problem. And when it comes to, let's say, teshuva, and, and we talked about sarasimit teshuva, you want to do to shoot for two things. Number one, the, the actual things you did wrong, and number two, the actual relationship you have with Hashem. Right? So there's two things in, let's say, uh, in, in marriage. Right? You want to build the relationship. So you buy your wife flowers, you take your husband on a nice trip, you spend nice time together, you build the relationship. But you also want to make sure that you don't hurt the relationship by saying things uh, saying you know hurtful things to each other or not being considerate of each other's feelings or you know doing something that would show that you don't love the the person it's one of those things where there's two components and the goal is the love it's the ahava but the yira the boundaries make sure that you don't do something that will damage the relationship so alosa say the whole concept of a gedder the Chazal created all these gedarim. It's to prevent you from creating a situation where you do something wrong. The, the whole goal is the building. The goal is connecting with them. The goal is the assays. But the los assays are there to prevent you from creating a problem. It's like why Chazal say that there's 248 mitzvahs assay connected to 248 limbs. That's the actual essence. The 365 is connected to the 365 sinews because that's what holds it together. And the goal is to really build a relationship, but the low says make sure it's like, I'll give you a muscle. Let's say you have a factory, and a factory builds incredible produce. What's the goal of the factory? The whole goal of the factory is to build the produce. But what do you also do? You have guards, you have fences, you have security cameras, you have monitors. Why? Because you want to make sure that no one damages or steals or, or that nothing comes up. You have to also protect 
the structure. Protect the building so you can create the goods. The whole goal is the goods. The goal is the what you produce, but the the the, the boundaries make sure that you can create something meaningful. That's what life is about. It's like recognizing what your actual priorities are and making sure that the low sase, so to speak, are not, they don't become the emphasis and the real goal where you turn your life into making sure you don't mess up and that things don't go wrong. That's not the focus. The focus is the assays. The focus is the building. It's what you're actually creating with your life. The, the rules and the discipline and the structure is there to enable you and ensure that you actually succeed. It's like a schedule. A lot of people, they hate having a schedule because they feel like it's a prison. I don't want a schedule. I'll do what I want when I want. But then you end up getting nothing done. When you realize that a schedule is there to create structure for you so you can actually do what you want to do and actually accomplish what you want to accomplish, you realize that discipline and structure is freedom. And it's the same thing in life. It's when you realize that, that the era... And the gvura and the discipline is there to enable the ahava and the assay and the, the love and the building and the creating and the constructing and the productivity that you start to realize that all of that is not, that the structure and the quote-unquote negativity is really positive itself. And, <clears throat> and that's such an important paradigm shift. And that's actually, if you want to get a little bit into the stuff, that's the, the essence of the concept assay do chalosase. As a principle in halacha, where if you're doing an assay and a los assay, then the assay is doche, pushes aside a los assay. So th- there are some details. It's one of those things where, in general, you, you're not allowed to do an avera in order to do a mitzvah. Right? So, for example, when it comes to uh, mitzvah baba avera, let's say you stole a lulav. Right? So, without getting into all the details, uh, on the first day of Sukkot, you actually need to own it. It's the mitzvah of Lachem for the, the Asrug and the Lulav. But let's say you know you no longer have the issue of Lachem. You still have a problem with mitzvah of Aver. Why? Because you can't do an Aver and then do a mitzvah with it. Why? Because the whole purpose of the mitzvah is to help connect to Hashem. And you're basically saying, I'm going to do Averus to do that. It's one of, it's, you're basically defeating the entire concept of mitzvahs. You don't want to do a mitzvah with an Avera. You don't want to do a mitzvah with an Avera Lulav. What if, classic questions, what if there was uh, there was some Shino? What if there was another, you did a, you changed ownership? What if someone stole it and then sold it to someone else? Is the problem with the actual Lulav or is the problem only that you stole the Lulav? If someone else does the mitzvah with that Lulav since they didn't steal it, is the problem with the Lulav itself? Or is the problem with the person and the Lulav? Or is it only when both come together? These are all very interesting things to think about. But the concept is basically that if you do a Avir and then you do a mitzvah, then it's a problem of mitzvah babavira. Does it apply to all mitzvahs, only certain mitzvahs? So once again, is another question for another time. We're not going to delve into mitzvah babavira right now. But there is a concept of what if you do the mitzvah and the avira at the same exact time? Be'idna. At the same exact time. Right? So some classic examples. Or if the same exact act is both an avira and a mitzvah, then there's a principle of asedoch Right, and not only could you do it, but not only are you allowed to do it, but you should do it. It's a mitzvah. So, how do we view this? Right, for example, I'll give you some classic examples. Uh, tzitzis, you know, there's a mitzvah tzitzis, but what if tzitzis has shatnas on it, or kilayim, right? And that's all you have. <clears throat> so it's beidna. You're basically uh, it's at the exact time that you're doing the mitzvah of tzitzis. You're doing the mitzvah of shatnas. Uh, 
um, which is actually, it's a, it's a little complicated, um, but we're not going to get into it right now. Uh, what about brismila? Right? Brismila, there's an issue of cutting off tzaras from your body. But if, let's say, the tzaras is on the actual, uh, you know, where you're doing the brismila is on the actual orla, and you're cutting that off, then you're allowed to perform the brismila. So how do we, what's this concept? Why are you allowed to do, we, we just said you're not allowed to do an aver and then do a mitzvah. Who cares if it's at the same time? Why should it all of a sudden be okay if it's be'idna? Why do we have the concept of say, but not mitzvah babavira? I mean, we have the concept of mitzvah babavira, but it's not allowed. And once again, it's a whole thing. We can talk about whether it is allowed, how does it work, what's the problem with it, what actually happens. Because um, the same analysis we're about to do for asadiyachalosa, so you could do for mitzvah babavira and figure out where it goes, where, where the difference lies and how big of a difference it is. But for now, let, let's focus on mitzvah Let's focus on on Asadiochalosa say why when you do it at the same exact time does it make a difference? So there's a couple options. One option is that every mitzvah and every avera has an impact, it has a value, and it has a, we it has an evaluation. And let's say when you do it for some reason when you do it at the same time, let's say the ase, the mitzvah is worth ten points. And the low say is negative seven points. And at the end of the day, the positive outweighs the negative. You have more positive than negative. So it's almost like you're, the, you're ending up plus three. And therefore, the, it, it's, it's, it, it's, you, you get a net gain at the end of the day, right? Meaning what? Meaning that <clears throat> they're both there, but there's more positive than negative. So it's, it's worthwhile to do it. Another approach is that, no, it's, that's not how it works. The positive mitzvah, doche, literally, it knocks out the, the, the losasei. So, asei doche losasei, the positive one is more important. It's more powerful, it's more potent, it's more uh, real, and therefore, the positive one, it knocks out the negative one. So, it's only like, at the end of the day, you only did a positive act. And another way is kind of similar to how we just talked about, it's actually interesting that we just talked about this, the concept of Kimlebe de Bravimine, we said that one way of doing it is that we have to define the mice in one way. You have to define the mice in one way. So therefore, we can choose to ignore the Losase and define this act as an Asse. Right? We're defining, just like Kimlebe de Rabine, the basin has to define it as, a, as one act. We do it as the more severe act, so it's defined as an act of murder in the case we gave before, as opposed to an act of Nazikin. So in this case, we're going to define it as an assay. And the third, and then, sorry, the fourth approach is getting at the very heart and core of why assay is dochalos assay. And it would also explain the other three as well, but this is very important for how we. Uh, give this fourth approach, which is that what? It's not just that we define it as a positive act. It's that we redefine the negative aspect as part of the essay. Why? Because what's a los essay? I mean, what did we just say? The whole purpose of los essays is to help you uh, make sure that you don't go on the wrong path, to make sure you don't do something wrong, you don't create spiritual damage, and then you're able to do live a life of, of, of assay tov, right? Swarmir of assay tov, you want to do a life of assay tov where you're you know, in Evan Hashem, performing mitzvahs, doing positive things. But the entire point of say is that it moves you away from Hashem, creates damage, and what's the whole purpose here? The whole purpose, it's like, the whole purpose of doing this act, which includes say, is to become closer to Hashem. 
So in general, it's almost like you read the Why are you doing this act? The whole purpose is Mayavodas Hashem. So the whole reason that I'm doing this is, why don't we want you doing a lose? Because you're getting further away from Hashem. You're doing a damaging act. You're doing something damaging. You're doing it for the wrong reasons, with the wrong attention. It's kind of like the concept of, of, of Avira Lishma. Avira Lishma is you're doing a bad act, but for the right reason. Right, a mitzvah that's lolishma is doing the right act, but you don't have any good intentions. Either you have the wrong intentions, or you just don't have any intention. But in this case, you're doing a nevera with a mitzvah, but your whole intention is to do the mitzvah. You don't want the shotness. You don't want to, to cut off the, the tzuras. All you want to do is a bris mila. You want to wear tzitzis. You want to do something positive. It happens to be the only way to do the positive thing is also to, to do a negative thing. So are we knocking out the negative? Are we ignoring the negative? Are we saying the positive is more important than the negative? No, in this fourth answer, we're saying that we're redefining the negative as now being part of the positive because it's the only way you can do the positive. And therefore, it becomes positive because the only reason that you're engaging in this, the, the intention, the, the motivation is pure and it's 100% lishma. It's for the sake of the mitzvah. And the concept of Yerida Latzara Chaliyah is that sometimes something negative can turn into something positive. It's like, how do you build muscle? You have to rip your muscles apart to build them, to build them stronger. How do you, you know, it was one of those things where why do we make Kiddush by Havdalah? Because we're, we're, we're literally, we're leaving Kodesh and going into Chul. Why are we being Makadish that? It should be very depressing. Matzah Shabbos is, according to some Bali Machshav, it's a very negative time where it's a time of death and, and, and depression. We're, we're losing Shabbos. You lose your Neshama Yisir. You need Besamim because you lost your Neshama Yisir. Why are we making Kiddush? But you're making Kiddush because you're bringing Makadish, the Chul, because because you go into the week, what's Shabbos? Shabbos is you stop your creative process, you experience everything you've become. It's not malacha. Malacha is creative activity. That's why malach is a creative emanation from Hashem. Malacha is creative activity. Hashem used the malachas to create the world. The same 39 malachas are used to create the Mishkan, which is a, a microcosm of the world. And on Shabbos, we stop those creative malachas, we experience who we are. But then we go back into the world. That's why, by the way, Shabbos is me'in olam haba, gemar brachos, because Shabbos is a taste of everything that you've become. You stop creating and experience who you are. But then you go back into the week to build something more. So you're leaving the Kedusha of Shabbos, which is a taste of olam haba, to go back into this, into this world, which is why we're here. So it's a Yerida into this world, so next Shabbos, we're on an even higher level. So we make Kiddush on that because we are uplifting and the fact that even though we're going into a Yerida of, of a, on a lower level, it's for the sake of Aliyah. And that's where we make Kiddush, which is, once again, we can, we can talk forever about this, but for the sake of, of getting to the point, when you when you engage in that losasay, it's really for the sake of the assay, and it's a read we're going and doing something that is negative for the sake of something positive, and therefore we can define, we can redefine that negativity as actually being part of the assay. Um so once again, th- this is a very, very, very deep topic, something we can talk a lot about. But the idea here is once again that the entire concept of the assay de assay, according to this fourth approach, is that the intention is the assay, the goal is the assay, and the year of the boundaries, the, the, the walls, the, the, the negativity is there to enable the assay to flourish. And therefore, in a case where the only way you can do an essay is also to do a love essay, we allow it since the entire intention is for the sake of the essay. And that's the distinction between Ava and Yira, uh, of Asay and Los Asay, and that's the distinction between Kavod and Yira for your parents, of having both elements of the drawing close and the Ava and the Kavod and trying to really um, connect and also recognizing the boundaries, creating 
a sense of distance and recognizing that there is something, uh, there, there are necessary boundaries that need to be developed as well. Uh, in regards to moving on to the next topic, where we're going to just we'll do a little more, we're about to finish up, just uh, two or three more small topics. So in regards to the limitations of the myths, so we mentioned the Gemara Bamansiyah, the Aflamid, Bezam and Aleph, the Gemara Yevamos, Stafheim and Bezam, the Ram also um, mentioned this, Shulchan Aruch mentioned this, that if your parents tell you to do an very, you shouldn't listen, right? even if it's an Isidurah what's the Sfarah? The far is that the entire goal of Kibbutz Avayim is helping you source yourself back to Hashem, helping you source yourself back to your source. If the Kibbutz Avayim, your parents are telling you to do the opposite, it defeats the entire purpose. If your parents are telling you don't connect to Hashem, do Averos, the the whole essence of Kibbutz Avayim is helping you learn how to source yourself back to your root. Here it would do the exact opposite. So of course, when your parents tell you to do Averos, you should not be listening to them. Uh, now, how you don't listen to them the way you do it, obviously you should try to do it in the nicest way possible, but especially if they're not doing it lahachas and they're not trying to you know, really mess with your connection with Hashem, they just either don't know better, the many cases where people whose parents aren't from and things like that. Um, another classic example, another classic question is what about grandparents? So there is a, the classic concept of, of b'nei banim kibanim him, that grandchildren are like children, and when it comes to our discussion of avos and toldos, you know, ave avos, how do you view the hierarchy, the categories? So you have the grandparents, then you have parents, and then you have children. So for you, when you relate to your grandparent, what what's your relationship with them halachically? Do you view them as your parent? Do you view them as your grandparent? Are you supposed to give covet to them just because they're an elderly person you give Covet to elders, or do you actually have a mitzvah kibbutz aim? Is it a smaller mitzvah kibbutz aim? Is it the same mitzvah kibbutz aim? How would it work? So, in terms of the options, there's a couple different options. One option is that it could actually be working through your covet to your own father. Meaning what? Meaning that your father has a mitzvah to give honor to his father. So he, as an individual would want you to honor his father because he wants to honor his father. I mean, he wants to give his father kavod. So your father has a mitzvah of kavod to his father and to his mother. You have a mitzvah of kavod to your father, and your father would want you to give kavod to your grandfather. So through your mitzvah of kibbutz avim to your own father, you would therefore give kavod to your grandfather. But only as a mitzvah through your father. I mean, it would be a fulfillment of giving kavod to your father to give kavod to your grandfather. Another option is that there is an independent chiv, meaning your father, your grandfather, it doesn't only need to get covered from you for the sake of you giving cover to your father, but independently he actually has, you have, you, you have an independent chiv to give cover to your grandfather because he is somewhat like your father, right? And you can actually, in a third level, is not only that it's there, there's an independent chiv that's on a lower level, but you can even say there's an independent chiv on the same level. And this is a classic question in cause and effect in Shas. So when you talk about cause and effect, what if you have one thing that causes another thing, that causes another thing? Is the original cause the cause of the second thing and the third thing, or only the second thing? Meaning what? Let's say you knock... A knocks B, and B knocks C. Is A the cause of C, or is B the cause of C? Right? So this is a classic question. So if grandfather causes father, and father causes you, do you say that grandfather equals 
grandfather in terms of cause, or is grandfather a smaller cause, or is grandfather a bigger cause? Why? Because he's the source of your source. So first of all, it's definitely part of your story of sourcing yourself back to Hashem. Because you say, where did I come from? I come from my parents. Where do they come from? They, they come from their parents. So definitely the whole concept of sourcing includes your grandparents. So there has to be some level of chiv, right? Not necessarily, but logically, yes. So now what's the level of achiv? Is it lower? Is it the same? Or is it higher? Is it lower because it's more removed from your immediate source? Is it higher because it's more closer to your actual source? I mean, your grandfather is closer to Hashem. This is the classic, classic, classic Godolim story. It's said in many different Godolim's names of, you know, Godol, name your Godol, sitting on an airplane and his grandchildren come over and start taking care of him, asking what he needs, gives him water and, you know, helps him out and this other elderly gentleman is sitting next to this gadol. I've heard it uh, Yaakov um, Kamenetsky, many different gadol have said the name of. And this elderly gentleman sits next to Yaakov Kamenetsky and says, I don't understand. My, my, <laughs> my grandchildren, they don't talk to me. They treat me like garbage. They don't respect me. They don't do anything for me. Your, your grandchildren are treating you like you're literally a king. What, what's your secret? So Yaakov Kamenetsky smiles and says, your grandchildren... Uh, believe that we came from monkeys. So you're actually closer to being a monkey than they are. They're more developed, they're more advanced, so you should be respecting them. But we view ourselves as coming from, you know, different formulations of the story, from the Avos, from Hashem. So, you know, I'm closer in that regard, and therefore they respect and recognize that, and therefore they treat me the way you see. So the concept is basically that your grandparents are closer to the source than your parents. So in a certain sense, they're less intimately your source personally, but they're also, that's only practically. At a more fundamental level, they're somewhat equally your source, and they're also closer to the actual source, closer to Hashem. So there is a way of saying that it's a lower level. There's a way of saying it's an equal level in terms of cause and effect. Um, they're a cause of your cause, so they're also your cause, and so maybe it's an equal level of Kibavim. And there's a way of saying it's an even higher level because they're closer to the actual source, they're closer to Hashem from a certain perspective, of course, in terms of the hierarchy of where do you come from? You came from your parents, where they come from, they came from their parents, where they come from, you go other my region, where did he come from? He came from Hashem. So in that story, so to speak, they are closer. So in terms of the actual shittos, there are in, in his shut, it's actually, if you want to look it up, it's in shut kuf, uh, I think, there are also in Yordea, in Rishmem, uh, they both hold that, uh, well, it's the Ramah in both cases, so it's not they both, sorry. Um, but in both of those Makoras, the Ramah holds that it's a lower level Chiv. And once again, we, we explained why that makes sense. If you think of them as being you know, more removed from you immediately, then the Chiv would be lower. Uh, the Maharik actually thinks that there's no real Chiv. He says that there's no mitzvah of Kiravim for your grandparents. There's just a general mitzvah of respecting your elders. So he took that uh, initial approach of of no actual Chiv. Of course, even the Maharik would probably agree that you do have a Chiv through your father, because um, your father won't, but that would be case by case. Um, now, last small tidbit, which is a really, really fascinating sugya, is there's a lot of triage questions in halacha. So in, let's say, life-saving cases, we can only save a couple people. The question is, who do you save? If you can only save one person, there's 10 people to choose from, you need to choose. Who are you going to save? So there's a classic halacha question of what if you have to choose between saving your father and your rabbi? 
So the Rambam, based on the Gemara, says that you should choose, if you want to look it up, it's in Hilchas Talmud Torah, in the fifth, it's in the fifth, uh, it's in the fifth parak, um, Halach Aleph. So the Rambam basically says, and this is very powerful, very powerful, it needs to be understood on a deeper level, but the Rambam says that if you have to choose between saving your father and saving your Rebbe, you save your Rebbe. Why? Right? Sha'aviv mevil chaylom hazeh, v'rabo shalindu chachma mevil chaylom haba. Powerful, powerful Rambam. Rama is basically saying what? He's saying, and we mentioned this actually a little earlier, that your father brought your physical DNA, your Rebbe gives you your internal DNA, meaning your, your Rebbe builds your internal world, your internal value system, teaches you Torah, teaches you, basically plants the seeds of eternity. And this rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Because a lot of people, they're just like, I saved my Rebbe over my father, you tell it to your father, it's not going to go so over so well. So what's the idea? The idea is like this. Once again, going back to what I mentioned a little earlier, there are two elements of Purvu. One is bringing someone physically into this world, and maybe in the near future we'll delve very deeply into this, because it's such a fascinating Sugi, the Sugi Purvu, touches on so many important topics. But in addition to bringing someone physically into this world, there's bringing someone spiritually into the next world, meaning what? There's bringing them into this world and there's nurturing that child internally to become all that they are capable of becoming. Connecting them to Hashem, to Torah, to truth, building their internal value system, their paradigms, their, their internal perception, how they view themselves, the world, and it's helping them achieve their potential. And parents have that chiv as well. But most parents can't do that, so they have to create shlichus, where they basically have a rabbi do that for them. The ideal is for the rabbi to be the father, and for the father to be the rabbi. And in that case, of course you save your father. But in terms of choosing between the two, the spiritual component of parenthood is more important than the physical component, and therefore between choosing amongst those two, you choose the spiritual. Now, Personally, I happen to be Zoha to have a father that was Makayim both. My father is my Rabbi in many, many, many ways. He's the most incredible person I've ever met. But it's one of those sad truths, and I've spoken to many, many Rabbim about this, where it's just one of those things where the ideal is for the parent to also be the Rabbi. But in a world of practical, where that's not always the case, then you have this dichotomy where the parent is not the rabbi. It, you fulfill it through shlichus. But if we talk about the sugi shlichus, shlichus is a very interesting, interesting sugi. Because does the mishalayach, the person who appoints the shliach, does he fulfill in the same way that the actual shliach does? Very interesting. Different types of shlichus, different examples, and we'll have to analyze that in greater depth in the future. The future share, but for now the concept is that your rebbe serves as your spiritual father, and it's not that your rebbe is saved over your father; it's that your rebbe is your father, and that really gets to the idea I mentioned in terms of adopting, where you now get to raise the children. The concept is that anyone who nurtures and transforms you in this world is, in a certain sense becoming part of your story. 
And your father, the concept of being an Av, is someone who is your source. And there's two elements of being your source. There's being your physical source, and there's being your source of wisdom, your source of knowledge, of ideas. And that's why the Ram actually, he specifically says, Shelindo Chachma, right? Because it's about wisdom, the wisdom and without getting into where the Rambam uses Chachma versus Torah, but it's about the essential ideas and principles and deeper elements of Torah and how to really build your inner world, your inner mind. So the Rambam is basically saying that your Rebbe becomes your father because he carries you, builds your internal world, which is basically what Olam Haba is. What's Olam Haba? The Maharal, the Rambam Shachayim, really the Rambam here is saying Olam Haba is what you built in this world. It's yourself, your internal world, your internal being, your values, your philosophy, your ideology, your ideals. It's your internal system, your internal self. It's when you say, I, who are you referring to? That's who you are. That's what your Rebbe builds. That's the true concept of a spiritual father. And if there's one thing we can really take away from this year, in addition to all the incredible lumdus and depth and really delving into Allah and Machshava, it's that our goal in this world is to continuously deepen our perception of everything, to source everything. That's what it means to be a, think, a, a thinker. A thoughtful person is someone who says, this is what I see, what does it mean? And you start sourcing things back to deeper and deeper roots and deeper meanings and deeper ideas. And you start connecting them and building the system. And to become someone who is a bardas, someone who really is thought out, it means to understand how to conceptualize, how to build structures, how to understand how you work, how a sugya and shas works, how a Torah's concept is broken down and how that works, how relationships work, what it means to be part of Klaiso, what it means to be in this world, it's to understand how to source things back to deeper and deeper roots, to build the hierarchies, to build and categorize and synthesize and harmonize, and to become more and more thoughtful. And Kibbutz aim is an incredible, incredible medium for doing that. The whole concept of Kibbutz aim is learning how to be makir, how to be makir tov on a practical level, how to be makir your makor, your source, on a very practical level that means your actual parents, and on a deeper level that's sourcing yourself all the way back to Hashem. So we should be zocha to see the world with deeper eyes, to continue to source things back, and to learn how to not only source ourselves back to Hashem, when it comes to, you know, the very, very easy aspects. So when it comes to saying, yes, keep it up, I mean, it's about sourcing ourselves back to Hashem, but it's about everything in life. Because everything in life is about learning how to source things to their root, and Hashem is the root of all things. So you start to realize that root and expression is one of the paradigms that carries through in every aspect of life. So... Let's be inspired to deepen our lives, deepen our perception, and continuously source ourselves back deeper and deeper, ultimately back to our ultimate root, the Kaddish Baruch Hu.